A little news at the top of today's podcast. I'm directing a comedy TV series called CTV. It's about a local low-budget TV station and the casting crew of misfit crazy people who work there. So it's a workplace comedy and a behind-the-scenes look at TV production. Depending on when you're listening to this podcast, our crowdfunding campaign may or may not be active. Either way, if you're able to contribute in any way, please do so. I'll put a link in the description so you can be a part of our show at any point in production. CTV has been a long time in the making, and I'm excited for you all to see it. You can check out more about this show at loramioli.com slash CTV. Thanks for listening to Louder Vision, the podcast for all you creative people out there. I'm your host, filmmaker and artist, Laura Mioli. If you want to find out more about me and get creative tips and inspiration, you can visit loudervision.com or follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or my Facebook page at Loudervision. This show brings together creative people of all types so we can break the stereotype of the starving and struggling artist by sharing ways to make money without sacrificing happiness. So let's do that. Today's guest is Suzanne Paulinski, founder of The Rockstar Advocate. She's a coach, consultant, and author helping artists in the music industry and other creative fields find confidence, clarity, and time for self-care. And don't we all need that? She also has great marketing tips and resources for artists on her website, therockstaradvocate.com. Hi. Hello. How are you, Suzanne? I'm good. It's so good to be here. Thanks for having me. To be here on Skype. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) To be in this shared space on the internet. Yes. So I'm reading your first published book, The Rockstar Life Planner, and it's a really great workbook that I'm using. I've been doing it for about two weeks. Do you want to tell everyone about that? Sure. So over these last, I'd say, two and a half, almost three years, I've been working with clients to get them better organized, get them prioritizing their tasks a little bit better. And so I kept creating all these different templates for them. And at the beginning of this year, I just thought to myself, well, (laughs) I have all these templates collected that I've created over the years, and they kind of lend themselves well to a planner. I remember last December looking for hours at Barnes and Nobles for a planner that really suited my needs. Because as a creative person that has their own business, we have social media to worry about and worrying about our finances each week and what we're bringing in and all these different things. So I wanted to combine the templates I created that included tracking inventory and keeping track of your social media contacts, all of those things. So I decided to put them in a book. And a good friend of mine from back at my days at Drexel helped me design it and make it look pretty. So um, it was a really fun project for us to work on together. Awesome. And it does look very pretty. Thank you. It's an interesting book because when I hear Rockstar Life Planner, I'm like, oh, that sounds like a self-help book. And, you know, you're a coach. And so it would be natural for you to release a self-help book. But this is definitely not that. It's more of a journal, more of a guided self-therapy, I would say. Absolutely. Yeah, it's an undated planner. So it's 52 weeks in the book, but you can start it and stop it whenever you need to. But yes, there are definitely exercises in there each week to guide you through overcoming hurdles. We don't Mm -hmm. reflect enough. At least that's what I've noticed with a lot of my clients is that we're like on this path and then we do it to the very bloody end. And then we're like, oh, did it work? Yeah. (laughs) So I think it's important to stop each week and be like, okay, what's working so far? What's not? not working because you don't know what you don't know until you know it. And each week we're learning new Mm -hmm. things. So you have to constantly reassess your original plan. 
Yeah, and, and memory's a fickle thing. Like, it just goes away, and, like, we forget right. things from a month ago. We might have learned a lesson, but if we don't write it down and we don't really reflect on it, then it's kind of lost. Right, right. So I like that your book kind of also forces us to write what we're grateful for. Mm-hmm. And so I like the gratitude section in every week, which I've been really enjoying because we don't do that enough. And like, there's all these self-help books out there and they're like, be grateful and have gratitude. And it's like, yeah, that's great. But when you actually have to sit and write it down every week, I think that is the best practice and the best way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that you brought that up because I've definitely over the years, I've had so many side hustle jobs while I was in the music industry and one of them was a paralegal and I used to have to go to all these networking conferences and BNI, the Business Networking International, they always talked about giver's gain and I always thought that was such an interesting way to frame it and I've just learned over the years that it's not only just putting good karma out there, you know, it's not just to like, oh, be a better person and help others. I mean, that's what we want to come out of it, but it's also just shifting your mindset because when you get so involved in your own work and how it's going to help you and what you're going to get out of it, it really just makes it tunnel vision and you're not seeing the bigger picture. So when you get out of your own head to help somebody else, you're actually opening yourself up to see what's more out there. It's really like a mindset exercise more than anything. Definitely. So while we're on this topic of this self-help and all these self-help gurus who like to tell people what they should do, what was the worst advice that you've ever read in a self-help book? <laughs> Let's see the worst advice be a part of the 5am club. Oh wow, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so screw that. I tried following that advice for so long and it never got me anywhere. So a lot of self-help books like or if you read on entrepreneur.com or all those business sites which I love a lot of them will say what I don't I don't like any advice that's like set in stone and saying like this is the only way to do it. Yeah. Because a coach of mine always reminded me to get rid of the word should. And so when you say you should be a part of the 5am club, the 5am club is basically all these big entrepreneurs and billionaires all say I get up at 5am, it gives me a chance to start my day before the rest of the world wakes up mm-hmm. and I do yoga and meditation and all and that's great. And those routines are wonderful if it works for them. But some people's rhythms are different. And some people also have families that they're responsible for or Mm -hmm. other things. And to put that pressure on somebody to be a part of the 5 a.m. club, and that's the only way you can really be successful, it's ridiculous. (laughs) And I'm a night person. Like, my creativity and a lot of my great work comes at night. So I would stay up till 2, 3 in the morning. So getting up at 5 doesn't work for me. And when I would go to bed earlier and stifle that creative time just to wake up at 5 a.m., I'd be be tired. Right. (laughs) I mean, like I'd be up, but I'd be in a bad mood and I wouldn't start doing yoga. I would just kind of stare at the wall for an hour Yeah, (laughs) and it wasn't working for me. So I would say get rid of that advice that you'd have to be a part of the 5 a.m. club in order to like get the most out of your day. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think we have to read these self-help books and I've read a lot of them, but we have to read them with some skepticism because these people are telling you things that have worked for them, but we're not them and we're all different and we have our different our life our different body everything is different than them so it's hard to give advice and say that that should apply to everyone so i like self-help books that are more flexible and more like a workbook and that's why i think the rockstar life planner is awesome 
Oh, thank you. Yeah, I totally agree with you. When you read these books, and they're important to read, a lot of them are really great books. Yeah. And then that's kind of why I set up the life plan of the way I did. So it's like, take some advice, but then try to apply it and then see if it's working for you. Yeah. If it's not, how can you tailor it so that it does work for you? Yeah. So you're a coach. And I just want to know a little bit about your background. You have a degree in psychology and the music industry. So tell us about that. Sure. So I went to Drexel way back somewhere in the turn of the century and um <laughs> and we were part of their first class for their new program called the music industry degree and um it was awesome it was just me and 39 other students mm-hmm. and we really shaped their curriculum we started mad dragon records which is still there today it's a student-run record label with national distribution with Ryko, i believe mm-hmm. and it was just such a great environment we we learned business and contract law and audio and all these different things. And I, I did that and I went to work for Astroworks because I had interned at Atlantic Records and then I followed my boss over to Astroworks, which was under EMI. We had Sia and her band Zero Seven at the time. We had Fatboy Slim and all these other amazing bands. And then I left that to do my own record label with my college roommate at the time. And we quickly found out that starting your own record label and especially being so young, I think we were like 20, 21 at the time, this is a large undertaking and there's yeah. so much to get done and we didn't hire a coach and we didn't figure out what our systems or structures were before we got started and it definitely was a bit of an undertaking so then we turned it into a consulting firm and so we would write bios for artists we would write EPKs or electronic press kits press releases whatever anybody needed that was written a social media plan we would just write 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 but we also weren't fully aware of return on investment and yeah what our profit should be. And we really weren't paying attention to the money that was coming in versus going out. So again, it was just that business side of it really wasn't there. So we decided to part ways on that and put a pin in it. And I went and got my master's in psychology because I feel like when you're doubtful about things, you should always just go learn more. You know, whether it's an official degree or reading a bunch of books, you should always just learn more so you can figure out what answers can come to you. And I've always been interested in psychology. And so I figured that could work for anything, no matter what I decide to do. And when I was done with that, it just became clear to me that, wow, a lot of my clients that I helped, you know, I would write their bio, but then I'd get an email at two in the morning that said, I'm on tour and I miss my boyfriend or, you know, yeah, or like, what do I do here? Or, hey, I'm working with a band in the studio and I'm confused about what to do about copyrights. Like, how should I attack that? Or, you know, asking me all these things. And I thought, oh, okay, well, you know, there's a lot of feelings. There's a big emotional roller coaster when you're a creative person. So, mm-hmm. you know, let me take the psychology that I've learned and the exercises I've learned on how to stay grounded and focused and mix that with the music business knowledge that I already have. And then, alas, the Rockstar Advocate was born. <laughs> <laughs> And so you were also paralegal? Yes. So during my time going back to school and in that in-between time with the consulting firm that I had with my former business partner, I really wanted to learn, you know, one of the wonderful things that she and I always said to one another was whatever side job we were going to have while we tried to get our music business off the ground was it had to help the business in some way. Mm. So we didn't take any job that couldn't lend itself to a skill set that we were going to need. So she went off and worked for 
a social media company. So she learned all about hashtags and all the different times to post and yeah. and stuff like that. And I wanted to learn about the contracts. And that was really interesting to me. So I became a paralegal and I learned a lot about contracts and what they should have in them and what all the different jargon meant and all of that stuff. And yeah. um, so I got that job as I was in the midst of figuring out my business and going back to school, mm-hmm. that was a good way to bring in money. That's great. And that's a great way to kind of integrate everything you're doing into your main goal. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of the times we feel as creatives like, oh, I'll just go be a waiter or waitress because that's flexible and that's what I need to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. There are definitely skill sets in the restaurant business that you can learn. I mean, I worked at Crate and Barrel as a merch manager and I was learning branding and all these different types of things and putting systems in place to make the best customer service possible. So there's definitely things in there. But I think if we just take jobs for the sake of taking them and don't really try to be aware of what we can get out of them to help our dream job happen, yeah. uh, then it's kind of wasted time. It's very true. So can you share some tips for work-life balance? For me, the past year has been nonstop. Go, sure. go, go. And as you said, like just having side jobs and all these different things. And I've been trying out a few different goals of mine that have been on my five-year plan for a very long time and finally getting to it and realizing that it's not really maybe for me. But Mm -hmm. in the meanwhile, I feel like my social life might have suffered from that. And so do you have any tips for work-life balance, something that has worked for you? Sure. So one of the things like you had just said, when the social life kind of hits the back burner, the funny thing is, as I was growing up in the music industry, my first bosses that I had were always just like, well, this is your life now. You know, so many people would love to be in your position. I mean, I think I was 20. I had my own office and I was like in charge of the Midwest sales for Astroworks. And and it was just, first of all, who put me in charge of that? Like, I don't, (laughs) I don't know why. I'm glad they believed in me. I didn't really believe in me at the time, Mm. but you know, I kept getting so overwhelmed. I quit that job five times and I just kept showing back up the next day and I don't know why. <laughs> and But the main reason was I would go in, I would quit. And the last thing my boss would say to me is, you know, you're being foolish because people would kill to get their foot in the door right now and you're in. What are you doing? And I would let that pressure me into thinking like because I wasn't sleeping. I was working sometimes 15 hour days. I was trying to get my own business off the ground. I didn't see my friends and family. I had just graduated college. I had no idea what was going on. And I wasn't reflecting at all. I was just going, going, going because this was the goal. The goal is to work in the music industry. I have this job. That's all that matters. And I wasn't taking time. Honestly, I was too afraid to stop and say, is this what I want? Because I just spent four years getting to this point. What if I found out it wasn't what I wanted, which ultimately it wasn't? That fear of stopping for a second. And like you said, you know, maybe some of those goals on your five-year plan aren't really for you anymore. You know, I think we make these five-year goals or annual goals or whatever they may be, and we change and we learn and we grow and other things take our attention away and we don't stop to think well did I get distracted or did I stop getting passionate about what I was on Mm. so we're either avoiding something out of fear or we're avoiding something because we no longer care about it you know we have to always kind of whether it's weekly or monthly to take that time to reflect on those things and that is part of self-care taking the time to be like you know I'm going to walk away from this and go see my friends and recharge because when we socialize with the people we care about 
we're ourselves. And when we're ourselves, yeah. you know, all this stuff comes up. So it's all about recentering. And part of that recentering is being around people that we can be ourselves around. And that's when it kind of comes up and creeps up on us like, oh, I love my friends and this is great, but I want to get back to what I was working on. And then that indicates a real passion for it. Yeah. But then if we're hanging out with our friends, we're like, oh my God, I don't want this to end because if I go home, I'm going to have to work on this thing. Yeah. Maybe that indicates either something's really eating at us that we're afraid of, or this is not the thing that we want to be working on because clearly we don't care that much about it. So I think we put a lot on our plate because we think we all have to get it done all at once. And I think if we, I like to say monotasking, if if we focus on one thing at a time, and obviously people might have families at home or other jobs. And when I say the side jobs, let's be real, a lot of the time it's our full-time job yeah. that we take care of in order to do this stuff. Yes, there are other responsibilities, but then when you do have that free time set aside, work on finishing one thing and making that one thing great. Yeah. And then get on to the next thing. And it might feel like doing it that way will make it take forever, mm-hmm. but it will actually actually make you more productive and speed up the process because you're focused and you're motivated because you're getting it done and that's making you feel good then you're on to the next thing so it's kind of counterintuitive but it works when you trust the process yeah and and definitely there's a fear of not being able to do everything we want in a certain amount of time and feeling like time is limited Mm -hmm. and for me i've learned that So say I want to do something for a career and it's a goal of mine, instead of just jumping into that, going back to school for that thing, and that's great to do. But for me, I like to just test it out and see if I can get a job doing that or get, you know, an internship or do it for a day or two. Test it out, put yourself in the situation, and then be able to reflect and say, is this something that I really can see myself doing every day? 100%. Yeah. Yeah, before you just throw yourself four years of school or two years of school. And then when you get out on the other end, you're like, oh, I don't actually like the day to day of what this looks like. Because it's one thing to like how something looks and to see other people doing something and say, oh, they look happy and maybe I should try that. But then it's different when you're doing it. 100%. And I, I love that you said that. Yeah, if you're not sure, or if you haven't really had the experience in it, I couldn't agree more. Go out and ask somebody, can you shadow them for a day? Or can you get involved in a project? And also too, I feel like when I say monotasking, a lot of people feel like, oh, I can only do one thing and that's it. And I just want to clarify too, the monotasking is like just one thing at a time. So if you're like a multi-passionate person, I mean, I know I've seen your stuff online and you've got a lot of different projects going on. I do. Yeah. and, (laughs) And it's awesome. And I don't think you should stifle any of that. I think it's all about just, okay, So when you're doing your podcast, that's all you're focusing on. And you don't have your podcast open while you're emailing about Mm -hmm. another project or you're not doing an interview and sketching out ideas for something else. Just being in it while you're in it and then putting that down and then switching gears and doing something else. I think a lot of us are multi-passionate and that shouldn't be stifled. It should just be prioritized a little bit and just being compartmentalized a little bit. Yeah. And and also knowing when something is over in a way for me. And I, I hate to say it but i have been teaching for about a year and i and i'm not sure that it's what i really am passionate about and there's other things that are kind of pulling my interest and i have to just say okay 
this is not for me right now. I'm going to maybe come back to it. But for me, like, I just finish out my commitments of what's coming up and then move on and say no in a way because there's all this advice out there. I think Shonda Rhimes had a book last year or two years ago, like, say yes. Mm Mm-hmm. And I disagree (laughs) because we're all so busy and there's all these requests and all these proposals coming from so many different places, especially when you put yourself out there or you go to networking events or you meet a lot of people. Everyone has ideas for things that they want and they want you to work with them. And it's hard to say no to that sometimes. But if you just say yes to everyone else's projects, you're not saying yes to yourself. Right. And that's another example of fun advice, but maybe not always super super practical and yeah looking at Shonda Rhimes she's not tethered to a lot of things she's got the power to change things on a whim and I haven't read the book but I looked into it a little bit and I've also seen some TED talks about there was one where this woman said yes for a year yeah and that's great and it's a fun little self-reflective project to do however I don't think they explain the full picture of it you know where If you are tethered to other certain responsibilities or if you do kind of know where you're headed, I think the whole say yes to everything thing happens when someone's just bumbling around and doesn't know what they want and they just figure, well, I'll just say yes to everything and see what happens. I mean, I think it's a cool experiment. But like you were saying, it's not for everybody and it's not really something that people should follow to a T. That's another one of those examples where it's like, okay, but what lesson did they get out of it? Like, and can you apply that lesson in a different way yeah and is that some advice that works for you at this point in your life and in your career right 100 percent. we'll chat more about this in a minute but first here are some other podcasts i think you'll love see you soon hey y'all i'm courtney hinton of vervehousecollective.com Verve House Collective is all about creatives, entrepreneurs, and those who want to live an awesome life full of intention. Again, that site is vervehousecollective.com, and we'd love to see you. Good morning, Indubians and future friends. I am T. Sterling Watson from the Indu Podcast, and I invite you to stop by and press play. The Indu Podcast is a little bit of everything, just like myself. Topics include entertainment, nerd culture, pop culture, intellectual chats, spirituality, music, or magic, if I misread my own handwriting. And you can find me on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, Spreaker, YouTube, Google Play, and, of course, Indube.com. The podcast and this ad is a 3SFX production. And we're back. (laughs) And we're here with Suzanne. And we were talking about career growth and advice that we get from self-help books and people out there and what works for us. But what was interesting was you said that at a very high point in your career, you didn't really believe in yourself. Yeah. That's interesting. (laughs) And also on your website, I saw that you said, I never felt accomplished. And this was years ago. But from an outsider perspective, you look very accomplished. You seem (laughs) like you're doing amazing things, but it's that internal voice saying, I don't believe in myself and I don't feel accomplished. So as a coach, how do you define success? Yeah, that's a great point. I think what happens is a lot of the times we do the whole comparison thing Mm. and that starts to eat at us. And then at least for me, that's when I tell myself like, I'm not accomplished and I'm not any of this stuff. When I teach it to my clients that are going through that, Uh I say to them, first off, 
define what success means to you because it's going to be different for everybody. I mean, some artists might define success as, for example, if they're musicians, it might be selling a certain amount of records or Mm -hmm. playing a certain venue or getting to collaborate with a certain tier of musicians. So what does that mean to you? And then once they figure that out, I ask them why, because a lot of the times they might say, well, success means I get signed by a label. And I say, but why? (laughs) And they've never really reflected on it because that's just what they're told. That's just what they know about the industry. You play music, you get a a label to sign you, and then all your problems are done with. And all of the artists that I know that have been signed to labels, Mm -hmm. that's like when their real problems start. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually not all that sunny and wonderful. Yeah. And I know plenty of artists that are making it their full-time job and they're not signed to anything. So there are other ways to do it, but People, again, don't know what they don't know until they know it. And so if I ask them, well, why is that your goal? And they say, I, I don't I don't know. That's just always been the goal. And I think the same thing happened to me back then. I was, you know, like I said, I had the office and I was feeling so important. And I still didn't feel like I knew what I was doing. And I think I cried literally like every day waking up when that alarm went off. And I went, oh, I can't believe I have to do this again. (laughs) And I think I made it 10 months before I finally just like up and quit and was like, this isn't healthy for me anymore. Because Mm -hmm. what took me to come to that realization again is like what I said before about the fear. I didn't want to sit there and reassess my goals. I didn't want to sit there and define what success was for me because that was so scary because Mm. I knew in my gut it meant walking away from everything I had just worked for and that was so scary to be like how can I walk away from this I finally got what I had been interning for and what I've been busting my butt at school for yeah but I had to be honest with myself and know that while I was in school I was learning about all these other different things that I didn't know at 16 and 17 when I thought like I this is what I wanted to do and so I had to take into account all these new lessons I had learned and figured out, okay, working at a label isn't really what I want to do. I want to create my own thing. I want to create my own structure where artists can do it without a label. And since I was like 21 and I made that decision, that's always been something that I've been passionate about is teaching other ways to go about things rather than just being signed to a label. Mm -hmm. And it's taken twists and turns. Sometimes it's been writing their bios and helping them in that way and being that support for them. And then it became helping them in other ways that's now shaped into helping them manage their time better and helping them get more self-care in their day so that they can reach this goal. So That part's never changed, but the way that I go about doing it has changed, and that's taken a lot of reflection. And when that doubt comes in and that self-hatred of, like, what am I even doing? Like, why would anybody (laughs) work with me? And when you stop and think about it, it creeps up, you know, being self-aware. I started to be more self-aware of when those things would happen. Mm -hmm. It usually creeps up when I'm about to do something I've never done before or I'm about to do something really exciting that I've worked a long time for. It's when Mm -hmm. when a big shift is happening and we start comparing and we start looking at what everybody else is doing and thinking, how can I even compare myself? I haven't done this, this or that. And here are all these other people doing amazing things. When that comes up, the advice I always give for that is remember that you're in your own lane. Nobody else can get in your lane. We're all on like just imagine a highway with like 
a thousand different lanes in it and you can't switch lanes. This is your lane. This is your path. And you might look over to the other lane and see somebody else with a a nicer car or maybe, you know, whatever, but it's still, they can't get to where you are. So, you know, they might be looking over at you and finding things that you're doing that they wish they could do. Or so when those things happen, start making a list of everything you've done, no matter how small it might be. And just list everything. That's where the gratitude comes in. That's Mm -hmm. where the giver's gain attitude comes in. Get out of your own self-hatred and look around you and see who you can help. See how you can pay it forward because that gets us re-energized and that makes us feel like we attributed to somebody else's success. It reminds us of what we have to give. Yeah, and that's so important. I mean, for a long time, Aside from having goals of teaching, I had on my list, I want to win an Emmy Award. And I did that last year. And I have to tell you, oh, thank you. I have to tell you, though, it didn't change anything. (laughs) Isn't that funny how that stuff happens? I know. I mean, I don't know what I was thinking, but for some reason, you think, okay, this is on my list. Like, when I achieve this thing, everything is going to change. And it doesn't. It does not change because winning an Emmy or winning an award or being recognized, it's just another form of comparison. It's a superficial kind of thing. And it doesn't change who you really are. And it doesn't mean anything. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So I like what you said. Yeah. And that's why it's important to not give up on that socializing and keeping those relationships alive because that's really what it's about. I mean, you might be a very driven individual and want to feel recognized in your field, but if you get swallowed up by it and you don't spend time with the people around you and get fulfilled in that way, like you said, you get the award and then you're like, well, now what? Because you're always growing and it's always going to be the next thing and it's never going to feel completely fulfilling. So that's when it becomes important to have those relationships around you to fulfill that need inside of you because work is great and achieving things is amazing. Mm -hmm. But You know, I'm a workaholic. I was for such a long time just going, going, going. And I let a lot of my friendships fall to the wayside. And I didn't see my family for a while. And it left me feeling very empty. And it's not until I found that work-life balance where I get more out of my accomplishments because I've got that other piece of the puzzle there. So do you have tips for working smarter and not harder? (laughs) Yes. Not being a workaholic? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I accidentally went camping one day and um, I ended up getting some tick bites and I did contract Lyme disease. And oh, man. It, yeah. And it sucks. It, <laughs> it definitely. But my friends always joke with me. They're like, well, it took Lyme disease to get you to stop being a workaholic because so many people would tell me, slow down stop doing this, eat better, exercise more, Mm -hmm. make time for your friends. Like everybody told me and I kept saying, yeah, yeah, that's great. I'll do that when I reach this point. You know, like you were saying, I'll do that when I, I have to get this much accomplished first. And when you get sick like that, your body just shuts down. You can't do certain things. And so there would be days where I had to rest all day and not do anything, or it would hurt to look at the computer. So I couldn't go on the computer. And for the beginning of it, I have like panic attacks. I'd be like, Oh my God, this isn't getting done. Mm. And I'm stuck here in bed. And all that did was make me sick longer (laughs) because I wasn't resting. And then my body would still be exhausted. So I really had to 
this was some deep reflection time for me. And I really had to stop and focus and be like, okay, I'm going to trust this process. I'm going to rest now. And then I'm going to be energized and get the work done when I'm able to. And I did. And it worked. And I was like, okay, I'm a believer. Yeah, (laughs) I'm on board. And that's when I really started teaching this whole work smarter, not harder thing. And what that is, is it goes back to what I said about monotasking, um, shutting off your devices when you're working, clearing off your desk, not letting it be cluttered with a bunch of different things, really getting in a zone, whether it's like setting classical music in the background or whatever it is that helps you work. Basically getting in that zone where whatever that takes for you. Some people prefer going to a coffee house and Mm -hmm. hearing other people around them and it helps them focus. Whatever that may be, getting in that zone. And then when you find yourself getting distracted or getting antsy or, you know, not focusing, even if you did like 40 minutes of really focused work, it's okay to get up and walk away from it, even if it's not done. Mm-hmm. You know, listen to your body and say like, okay, well now my mind is starting to race and go a million different places. I'm going to walk around the block yeah. or I'm going to go check Facebook and have 15 minutes of, you know, and time yourself, you know, yeah. have 15 minutes of just checking notifications and then moving on. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to make myself a sandwich and use this as my lunch break and go watch my favorite TV show on Hulu or something mm-hmm. like that. Whatever it may be, give yourself permission to just do that because if you keep fighting it, then that's when you're going to be working and that resentfulness is going to come out and be like, I don't want to do this. I can't believe I have to do this right now. And again, this is advice that can always be taken wholeheartedly because maybe you do have a strict deadline where you do have to just bite the bullet and do it. Or maybe you don't have time to go walk around the block and something else needs to be done. But implementing this stuff as much as you can and being kind to yourself and saying, listen, this is what I'm going to do right now. And maybe I don't want to do this. But at the end of it, I'm going to treat myself to an ice cream or I'm going to treat myself to seeing a friend that I haven't seen in a while or talking on the phone with a family member, you know, whatever it is to reward yourself if you have to get through something you don't want to be doing. Mm. Another work smarter, not harder thing that I always teach is microtasking. Hmm. So when we have a lot to do and we always say there's not enough time in the day, there's not enough time. There's plenty of time that we maybe stare into space or we're on social media or we spend too much time in front of the TV or any of those things. You add them up and that that is real time. Mm -hmm. So if we take something like. Like I always say with musicians, a lot of the tasks they hate to do is saying like, I have a YouTube video to put up. Okay, well, if you just leave it on your task list as YouTube video, it's very vague. Yeah. It could feel like very heavy. <laughs> so if we break it down to, I need to come up with a title for it. I need to write a script for it. I need to write social media captions for when I share it. I have yeah. to upload it. I have to edit it. All of that stuff, when we break it down like that, we have 10 minutes where we're sitting at a doctor's office waiting for our appointment. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can write my social media captions. If you just looked at get YouTube video up on your list and you're sitting at the doctor's office, you're like, well, I can't do that. And then you just sit there for 10 minutes reading a magazine. Because it seems overwhelming. And that's how I do my podcast is writing every little thing down. Exactly. Because somebody like yourself that has to juggle a bunch of things all at once, using that time wisely is, 
you know, if you're sitting on the subway, what can I do for my podcast that can get done that I don't need Wi-Fi for or that I don't need a quiet environment for? So, yeah, absolutely. Just being aware of those little micro tasks hidden inside those larger projects. Mm -hmm. Not only will it get things crossed off your list, but it again, it's that whole mindset where you're feeling like, wow, I just made use of like sitting at the doctor's office. And it makes you less resentful when the doctor runs late and you're stuck there and you can't be at home in your studio. Oh, but I was able to get a couple of other things done while I was waiting here. So it's just using that time as best as you can. That's definitely what I would do. And one of my clients had pointed out once when I told them that, mm -hmm. like with video, you have to set up the lighting and the microphone or whatever. Well, while you're doing that, batch it. <laughs> you know, that's another work smarter, not harder. If you have a bunch of videos that you want to do, yeah. even changing your shirt in between videos, if that makes you feel better. But yeah. having a day, maybe a Saturday where you, you've already set up the lighting and you've done all that prep work, well, now do as many videos as you can do while you're in that zone. So you don't have to set up the lighting and then take it down and then set yeah. up it down because it seems daunting it seems very like oh this is going to take a long time but that's what i advise my video clients anyone who i work with to make videos is as much as we can do in a day let's do it let's plan for it write a script write what are your different topics and we'll do as much as we can because setting up that lighting and doing the audio and it, it takes a long time and you got to get people together and when anything has to do with getting people together do it all in one day <laughs> you don't want to schedule more than one day for that absolutely and you totally hit the nail on the head with planning yeah <laughs> just plan for it take a little bit of time before each week starts and like look at what you have on your plate what can you batch what can you break down all that stuff just takes planning and that's why it's working smarter not harder yeah and so with all the possibilities out there as a creative person it's sometimes hard to nail down that one thing that we want to do because there's so much pressure to do one thing you know like one thing that you're good at what's your career what is your one thing that you do so especially in music there's a lot of pressure you have to choose a genre and then in film we have the the genre or the niche like if you're doing comedy you can't do documentary all of a sudden there's all these right. labels and all these categories but it seems like you have you know your own business and you have a lot of different experience that you bring all into that and as a business owner you know there's a ton of things that you have to know how to do and different tasks that you end up doing each day but how do you stay focused and how do you find that one thing or do we not even want to find that one thing <laughs> that's a really great question definitely like when you had mentioned musicians with different genres i get clients a lot of the times and they say well, I'm interested in so much music and I've been writing songs and I've got some that are more bluesy and I've yeah. got others that are more pop. And what I say to them is you do want to feed your creativity and you want to be a free flowing creative person. You don't want to stifle that. However, mm -hmm. this is also a business. So if you're looking to make this your career, if you're looking to grow this as an actual business where you're taking in an income from it and you want to get rid of your day job and all that stuff, if it's at that level that you want to work at, then you do have to abide by some rules and boundaries in order to be able to sell products to your consumer to your fans so you know on one hand yeah you might have songs that are of all different genres and all that stuff 
that's great, but maybe for your next album, only choose songs that kind of fit one particular genre or that at least fit together sonically because you're going to have to market that. And people don't like what they can't figure out and people don't like what they don't know. So if you're going to put together, say, an album of totally different music and it's mm-hmm. like something you've never heard before and it's amazing, it very well maybe you might have put together 10 of your best songs that are going to blow people's mind. Yeah. But nobody's going to listen to it because if they can't figure out where to put you, then it that's very confusing to them. And that might feel very stifling to you. Mm-hmm. But what I say to them is, listen, focus on this album and focus on creating a theme and a brand around this album. And then on the next album, switch it up with other songs, but that those songs are sonically in sync with one another. Yeah. But maybe it's a departure from your last album. So like, that's okay. Madonna's done it. Lady Gaga does it. Like yeah. plenty of other people have done it, but you have to build trust with your fan base first. You have to build a reputation with them first that not only is it great, say, pop music, but it's great music in general. Mm-hmm. And they know that and you've wet their palate and you've given them a chance to listen to it and get to know you. You know, that's all a process. So don't be in such a rush. Yeah. You put that album out and like you're sick of it because you've been with it for a bunch of months. <laughs> yeah. But you've given the public three weeks to listen to it. And now you're like, and now here's something completely different. Yeah. And people don't trust that. You have to build those relationships and give them a chance to get to know you as that. And then, again, this is why it's so important on social media to share your process. Let them in on why you're going to take a departure into another genre, whether it's film or music, you know, get on social media, explain to them, people that aren't creative don't get it. And so it's important that you explain to them, listen, I'm a creative person. I'm so glad you really liked my last project. I'm going to bring that same skill set with me to the next project, but I want to try something a little bit different. And, you know, ask them, ask them for their support, ask them to come on this journey with you, share the pieces of what this journey was about so that they can feel like it's not so scary. It's not so different because that's where the site comes in. Like that's where the marketing comes in where people, they're going to buy the Ziploc bag rather than the store-bought brand because a commercial told them that Ziploc was trustworthy. Yeah. (laughs) Even if it's more expensive than the store-bought brand, like, okay, whatever. I know Ziploc. I trust Ziploc. I'm going to buy that. You just have to build that trust factor. And part of that takes some patience. And yeah, like I said, you don't want to stifle yourself, but this is a business. And sometimes you have to take the crap you don't want to take (laughs) to get to where you want to go. Yeah, (laughs) it's definitely not a bad thing to have more than one interest. And I like your idea of keeping it. Now I'm going to do this and then I'm going to move over to that and kind of transitioning. And that's great advice. But then there's also, we do need to let our creative juices flow and we do need to experiment. And not everything has to be something we share. But for me, I find that having a hobby that is creative, that is a departure from your normal medium, I think that's helpful in getting that juice out. And for me, that's painting because I do a lot of video and podcasting and it's all in the same world. But painting is completely a different thing. And I do it as a way to unwind and something that I don't really share too much of. I don't have to worry about selling it. And so I think that that's important for creative people is to have a hobby that is not money making, not worrying about marketing, just something you like doing. I love that. I think that's unbelievable advice. And I couldn't agree more. I think it's important 
I've told a lot of musicians, maybe you don't want to make this a career. Just because you love what you do doesn't necessarily mean that that should be the way you make money. Because it is a job, it is work, and it is sacrifice and compromise in order to make that happen. And I love that you brought that up. If there's something that's so sacred to you that you don't want to compromise it for anything, then 100% I'd say keep it a hobby and keep it your side passion that feeds you and only you. And, you know, maybe you share your art with other people or maybe you do like a free gallery night or something like that. And yeah. But without the pressure of needing to make it something or having yeah. any expectations of it, yes, I think that's so important to keep certain things like that sacred. And unfortunately, just the sheer word commercial, yeah, <laughs> it comes with a price. So yeah, I think that's wonderful advice to keep a side passion that's just yours. And it's also a good way to kind of activate a different part of your brain. So we're doing <laughs> the same thing every day for our job. And then to be doing something where you're trying something different like I'm using my hand to paint I don't do that all the time right. and so doing that kind of gives me other ideas for videos and for projects that I'm doing I don't know why but it, it just works in that way it's like you're taking your attention away from something and mm. then it kind of helps you go even more into that thing <laughs> it's very strange I know it's so counterintuitive but that's like taking that walk outside when you're feeling burnt out with a project you're using different like you said muscles and senses and all this stuff and like seeing something in nature could spark an idea for yeah. the bio you were writing and you're like what does that have to do with the bio I was writing but like you said using your body in a different way and stepping back 100% it's a really healthy thing to do yes so another question I have is how can creative people embody the confidence of a rock star because I like that it's called rock star life planner it's not necessarily for musicians I mean it works for them but it could really work for any creative person and just being able to embody that essence of a rock star and that confidence that they have. That's such a good question. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had people purchase it and they're writers or actresses and they found it helpful. Yeah, there aren't too many exercises, you know, like some of the templates in the back are for like going on tour and stuff like that, but they can be realigned for anything. I think getting in that mindset in my logo, I mean, like the way it is in the title, there's a forward slash between rock and star. Mm -hmm. And the reason that it's like that is because my tagline for my business is be the rock for your future star. Ooh. Yeah, so it's all about staying grounded so you can reach your full potential. I used to never use the word rock star mm -hmm. ever. And I know that's a word that gets thrown around a lot. And yeah. Coming up with names for my business a couple years ago and I was thinking, I don't know, the, the music advocate or the tour person advocate or like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was like thinking of ways to think it. And then my coach was like the rock star advocate. I'm like, oh, that's such an overused term. Like, I hate that. Like, no, I'm not going to call it the rock star advocate. But then I was like, well, no, if you split up the word, like, it's actually really cool. I mean, like, we think of the word as like rock star, bleh, and, like <laughs> up on stage and like, you know, being and a bad Yeah. Yeah. And that's so cool. And it does mean that. But when you break up the word, 
you're able to be that confident because you're centered and because you've reflected and you're strong in what you believe in and why you're doing what you're doing. And then the star part is, you know, allowing yourself to rise to that occasion and to be at your full potential. And that takes a lot of letting go and it takes a lot of letting go of the fear. So it's like one part of the word is like being tethered to something and the other part of the word is all about letting go. And so it's like I started to really dig in deep into that word and I was like, huh, there's a lot at play here. And so really that's the whole theme of the book. That's the whole theme of my company Mm -hmm. is when you want that confidence and you feel shaky or you feel like you're not deserving of where you are or where you want to go, the first step is to write out why. Why Mm -hmm. is going to be the most important thing? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why do you feel that you don't deserve this? Why do you feel like people are going to say these things or have this reaction to you that maybe you don't want them to have? So getting back to that whole why thing is really, really important because it directs us in everything that we do. So sometimes all it takes is getting back to the why you're doing what you're doing. And when you know your why, sometimes that breeds enough confidence in us to keep going. And other times you have to dig a little deeper into why you're fearful of moving forward. And what I like to do, and there's an exercise in the book called the doubt dump. And the doubt dump is really like putting all those whys out there. Like, I don't feel good enough because of this or because of this or because of this. And then flipping that. I call it flipping the script. So if you feel I'm going to create this film but I'm afraid that nobody is going to appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, flip that. Like, I'm going to make this film and at least one person is going to be touched by it and their lives could be changed by it. Or people are, are going to watch it and they're going to get such enjoyment out of it and escape their life for mm. the next 90 minutes. However you want to flip it because the future is 50-50. The future can suck or the future can be amazing. And the reality is it's probably going to be somewhere in between. But why do we always focus on it being horrible? Yeah. <laughs> we're just programmed. Like, I don't know why, but we're going to be like, oh, here's an unknown. Well, it's going to suck. <laughs> <laughs> it's that like prepare for the worst. Hope right, for the best exactly. Kind of thing. And we might as well flip it and be like, this is going to be amazing. And the reality is it's probably going to be somewhere in between those two. But at least if it's unknown, you might as well have some fun with it and think about it being amazing. Yeah. And hopefully you'll get somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah, and we got to just make the best out of things. I mean, sometimes things don't work out and we have to just find what are the positive things about it. Right. Right. You got to look at it as an experiment. And instead of being like, oh, my God, I failed at my business or I failed at my craft. Be like, oh, that experiment didn't work. What can I tweak in there and kind of make a game out of it and say like, well, you know, it's like with Facebook ads. It's like, well, I put this amount of money in and I targeted these people and that really didn't work. So who can I target for this one? You know, looking at everything as tweaking don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. but what can you tweak to make it better next time and just keep striving to improve rather than one's a failure and one's a total success yeah so you work with individuals in overcoming their fear but then you also work with bands and groups and i know from experience being in a band is very tough Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of egos and people that don't always agree everyone has their own ideas and it's a lot it's a lot to deal with how do you help bands and groups get on the same page So this actually went way back to when I started my own record label with my college roommate. 
We had signed a band, and they were three guys. They grew up together. Like many bands, they had a huge past together, and they had a friendship. And that band is no longer together. It was definitely hard to have a record label, but one of the things that we had to do almost constantly was, you know, a show would come up, and they'd be in a fight, or something would happen personally, <laughs> or they were mad at the other person's girlfriend, and they didn't want the girlfriend coming to the show. or Yeah, drama. <laughs> yeah, like whatever it may be. And we were constantly mediating and constantly saying, okay, guys, like, let's get back on that. I always think of this scene from Full House where like Stephanie and Kimmy can't get along and DJ puts them both in a chair and they have to like agree about certain things in order to get closer in the chair. <laughs> It's uh, such a stupid show, but um, <laughs> but that always stuck out in my head about like getting people back on the same page and the things that they disagree about really aren't that far apart when yeah. they stop and think about it. So as much as it sucked trying to run my own record label, that was one aspect that I really did enjoy and that I thought I was really good at. I'm kind of always the go-to friend when people are having trouble. I'm very good at putting myself in other people's shoes and trying to translate what they're feeling to somebody else that might not be getting it. And so I created this service for bands and teams, you know, whether it's manager and client or band, when you're in it and you're both so passionate and you both have your own goals and you have your own expectations, it can get really muddy. I mean, it's like group therapy. It's like family therapy. It's getting in there. And what I do is I meet with each person separately because there might be things that they're not comfortable saying in front of the other people. Yeah. And I ask them like, okay, no holds bar. Like, what do you want out of this? And what is really holding you back? And what are you not feeling heard about and really just a lot of the times things come up because people just don't feel heard they don't feel like you're listening to them they don't feel like you're understanding where they're coming from yeah and sometimes it's because people have their own personal stuff going on that's bleeding into the work and they don't know how to keep it separate or to put both of those pieces at peace so what I do is I meet with each of them individually. We go over their personal goals. We go over how they see the group working as a whole. And after I've met with each of them individually, I kind of come up with a plan that makes as many people as possible happy. And I bring them all together. And I ask each of them beforehand, you know, mm -hmm. what are you going to give me permission to talk about and bring up? Because I'm going to do most of the talking in the group setting. <laughs> yeah. As copacetic as possible. And so as long as they're comfortable with me bringing up certain things, I'm going to address things that maybe the other band members don't know about or maybe that they know, but they're not understanding it fully. And then we just have like a, a discussion and it's like a trust circle and a safe place to really talk and not feel like you're going to burn bridges. Yeah. You don't have to get nasty with one another just to be heard. And then we come up with a plan. Sometimes the plan is, hey, you guys need to part ways. I mean, I did that with my business partner. We're still best friends. It came down to let's be real honest about what we both want out of this and how can we part ways and not hate one another? How can we support one another moving forward? And sometimes it's, okay, we're going to still work together, but this needs to change or this needs to happen in order to do that. And it's mediation. And it's one of my favorite things to do because it's that immediate result that you see at the end where these people can now communicate better. So when is the time to give up on your partnership or your band and just be on your own when your goals are so incredibly different when there is no compromise see like for me and my business partner it came to the point where we just had very different expectations about 
the direction of the company and what we wanted out of it. And for her, I mean, I don't really want to speak for her, but what really came out was that she was an artist. She is an artist. She's Mm -hmm. a musician. And it was too stifling for her to focus on working on other people's music. It just reminded her that she didn't have time to work on her own music. And for me, I'm not a musician. So it lent itself better for me because I loved living vicariously through other people. So it wasn't something that we could work out. It really just came down to, oh, I don't want you to feel stifled. Like you have to go write your own music and you have to go write your own path for your own artistry. Because yes, I saw that if she stayed on, there was not going to come a point where she wasn't going to feel stifled. You know, there were only so many hours in the day for her to dedicate to her job, to this business and to her music and something had to give. And, you know, I saw that the stifling was happening and that wasn't a healthy situation. So we decided to end our professional relationship. Other people might just feel like, okay, I want to do this business, but I need to feel like the tasks are being I've had clients where their bands don't participate in the business aspect of it. Yeah. And they feel, well, I need at least a few more of you participating in balancing our books or Mm -hmm. making phone calls to book shows or helping design the posters and all that stuff. And then a few people stepped up once they knew like, oh, you don't like doing all of that by yourself. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's hard for people who are multitaskers and who are driven to be in a partnership and then not feel like they're being taken advantage of. Right. Because like when I was a kid, what I hated about school was like the group projects. Yeah. Like you would join a group and then I would always end up doing more than they're doing. (laughs) Or that's how I felt at least. And it's like you're always going to have someone that wants to slack off and let someone else do more of the work. And then as like type a type of person like me it's like well they're not doing it so i'm gonna do it (laughs) so and then you feel like well now i'm doing everything and then it becomes resentment right and it's that weird thing because i'm totally that person too where it's like well then if i ask for help then it sounds like i can't do it and i don't want people thinking i can't do it so i'll just keep my mouth shut and really it's just about sharing the load and sharing the responsibility and Mm -hmm. and maybe it will never be 50 50 but if it can be like 40 60 yeah (laughs) you know and like you don't feel like it's totally on you and the others are taking up that 60 percent and dividing it between them at least it's a little bit more or at the very least sometimes the situation is guys i'll do it i just want to feel respected and i just want to thank you every now and then and i want acknowledgement that i'm doing this so sometimes it's just about getting those things out there that when you don't have that outside person it could feel so stifling and so pressured because maybe these are people you've grown up with or maybe these are people that you have really intimate ties to and you're like oh if i bring this up it's not gonna go well yeah because of (laughs) such a long history yeah yeah well we want to encourage people try to work it out yeah (laughs) (laughs) but sometimes you gotta go if your goals don't align my way of working with people is to always make a team where you're doing what you're good at yeah And if someone is doing something that they're not good at, they're not going to like doing it. Or you might resent that they're getting to do the thing that you want to do. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of about like delegating in a way that makes everyone happy as well. Definitely. Also, just being open to conversations. I I like that you are able to mediate that. Yeah, it's the tough conversations. Again, making this a business, when you take it from passion to actual business, Mm -hmm. some of the fun does get sucked out of it. I mean, that's how it goes. But 
there's a lot of things, you know, we're creative people. We're not accountants. We don't want to sit there and manage our finances, but you have to be courageous enough to look at what you've got coming in and what you've got going out and understanding that even if you hire somebody to do it, you need to understand the very basic basics. So getting your feet wet in that situation, same thing like having the uncomfortable conversations and talking about copyrights and making sure you're getting contracts signed when they need to get signed. Those are all icky conversations that creative people don't really like to have. And yeah, Sometimes you need somebody to make you have them and kind of guide you through those conversations. Definitely. Thank you, Suzanne. You can find out more information about Suzanne at therockstaradvocate.com. I'll put that link in the description below. As for me, I'm filmmaker, artist, and your host, Laura Mioli. You can connect with me getting creative tips and inspiration on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Loudvision. And you can listen to more of these podcasts, read my blog, watch my videos, and contact me. Just go to loudavision.com. And if you like what you've heard, please rate and review this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or YouTube. Thanks for listening.